Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Before we get started, I wanted to remind everyone that we do have two event series. The first one focuses on big data and data science. It's called Strata Data Conference, and you can find that at strataconf.com. The second conference focuses on AI. It's called the O'Reilly Artificial Intelligence Conference, which you can find at o'reillyaicon.com. In this episode of the O'Reilly Data Show, I sat down with David Ferrucci, founder of Elemental Cognition and senior technologist at Bridgewater Associates. David served as principal investigator of IBM's Deep QA project and led the Watson team that became champion of the Jeopardy quiz show. So before I uh, uh, sat down with David, I looked up actually a timeline. So Deep Blue, the chess system, was in 1997. The Watson Jeopardy system was in 2011. DeepMind's AlphaGo was 2015. And uh, earlier this year, a team from Carnegie Mellon uh, cracked uh, poker. So a lot of developments in such a short time frame. So with Elemental Cognition, uh, David has formed a research group focused on building an AI system that will tackle state-of-the-art natural language understanding. And they're doing a lot of interesting things that David will go over in this episode. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. David Ferrucci of Elemental Cognition, welcome to the data show. Hi, how are you? So, you know, in uh, preparing for this interview, I kind of took a peek at some uh, AI milestones. And actually, the timeline was a bit surprising to me. So uh, Deep Blue was May 1997. and then. Uh, Watson and Jeopardy uh, was actually 2011. You would think that it was uh, actually uh, uh, happened a long time ago because so many things have happened since then. <laughs> so then after Watson Jeopardy in 2011, you have DeepMind uh, and AlphaGo October 2015. And then earlier this year, of course, the Carnegie Mellon team, No Limit, Texas Hold'em Poker, January 2017. So I guess at a high level, David, so why was there such a gap between Deep Blue and Watson Jeopardy, 1997 to 2011? And then now everything seems to have accelerated. Yeah, a number of, a number of things happened in a relative, relatively short amount of time. I think that um, if you go back to the uh, Deep Blue days, I mean, there really wasn't, uh, machine learning was not, well, uh, was not well understood at that time. In fact, Deep Blue, the chess-playing computer, didn't didn't use machine learning. It essentially used sort of a brute force uh, technique. Uh, since chess is sort of so well defined, you know, you've got a certain number of pieces. They can only move in certain ways. And while it's this pretty big search space, it's certainly not an infinite search space. It's much smaller than the Go search space. So if you can devise a machine that was powerful enough to essentially sort of play out enough games, you know, sort of think of it as a big tree. If I make this move, I can go 10 steps down that direction. If I make this move, I can go 10 steps down that direction. So when you look at it overall, the computer, if it was fast enough, can look ahead enough moves that it can actually anticipate which move to make that's most likely to lead to a win. And humans might not play that way, but the computer was able to kind of play that way, look ahead enough that was able to beat the, the grand champion. So Deep Blue was sort of a, a um, you know, a proof point for the massive computation capabilities of machines at the time, that they can look that far ahead 
in a, in a sort of a massive, albeit well-defined search space. I think when you, got, when you get into language, language is a much harder problem, right? It's very ambiguous, very uncertain, uh, exactly how to, um, you know, determine whether two words or two phrases might mean the same thing under different contexts is actually kind of a, a harder problem. And I think what happened between Deep Blue and Watson is a few key things. One is huge amounts of um, information became available, re readily accessible. So giant corpora, um, information from the web, you know, Wikipedia, just huge language corpora became available. Machines actually got a lot faster, so you're able to process that much content. So you you took that corpora and uh, converted it into like a knowledge graph or knowledge database. I mean, yes and no. To some extent, yes, that was part of it, but also just using it to um, to really learn models, you know, language models of what words tend to occur next to what words and whether or not that can infer some meaning equivalence you know if i see if i see cat appears around a lot of the same words that dog appears that might mean they're similar in some way and i can get enough of a signal from that by looking at enough corpora to kind of start figuring that out and so humans don't have to write as many rules down as long as your computation can be informed by the patterns and you know patterns in the language so I can process tons of language. I can look for these patterns much more efficiently because uh, machines are a lot faster. And I can, um, I can generalize those patterns using machine learning techniques. So that's the other things that happened. So machines got a lot faster, huge volumes of data now, now available. And machine learning techniques allowed me to discover patterns in that data, uh, in that language data in this case, um, more rapidly than ever before, more effectively than ever before. So all these things, I think, came together so that you're able to you're able to do something like Watson. And uh, fast forward to today, uh, you folks uh, are starting a new company around some technologies that you just created. The company's name is Elemental Cognition. So how would that Watson system that you used to beat Jeopardy benefit from uh, what you folks have created with Elemental Cognition? So how f how much has the, the technology advanced since 2011? Well, I mean, that's an interesting question because for a couple of reasons. One is, first of all, machine learning, um, even since Watson, has really taken off. And there's a vast, you know, there's a, there's a vast class of problems that machine learning can solve so much more efficiently than we could have ever done before. And, um, you know, it's knocking, out of the knocking it out of the park with things like voice recognition and image recognition, uh, control systems like uh, driverless cars, things like that. So it's, it's like amazing, you know, what's going on there. And um, elemental cognition is doing something kind of very different. Um, so, so Watson did not actually try to build an understanding, right? It analyzed how words occur together in questions and then passages. And it sort of came up with an approximation that this phrase might mean that phrase. And if I see this phrase as part of the question, and this phrase is part of a potential answer passage. Since they might mean the same thing, then this word over here, or this phrase over here, might qualify as an answer. There's no actual kind of understanding. Uh, elemental cognition is actually trying to get at the logical model, the mechanistic model that causes the words, as opposed to the patterns in the words. 
So, you know, I mean, one of the famous... Well, let's, let's take a step back there and uh, parse that uh, difference. Causes the words as opposed to patterns in the words. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, so when I say something, there's a model in my head about how the world works that causes me to say what I'm about to say, or what I, in this case, just said. What caused that was an understanding. So my understanding of AI, my understanding of deep learning, of understanding of logical uh, reasoning, reasoning mechanisms and so forth, that causes me to say what I'm saying right now. That's very different than if I just looked at the surface of the words and said, I've analyzed all of Dave Ferrucci's prior speeches, and he's about to say these words and predict what I'm going to say next. That's how chatbots work. There's no, there's no understanding in that machine. It looked at all my prior you know, conversations. It's all, it's all pattern recognition. Pattern recognition and pattern generation from prior, from past data. So, you know, really great examples, like what resonated for me is my, my daughter, when she was like first grade, so six years old, is reading this uh, homework assignment as a science thing. And she reads this passage about electricity is produced by water flowing over large turbines that turn and produce electrical current that powers your home. Great. Now there's a question, how is electricity made? And so, you know, my daughter comes to me and says, you know, look, I can go back to the passage. If I can match the word made with produced, I can basically just use the rest of the sentence and say, electricity is made by water flowing over large turbines that turn and produce electrical current. But dad, you know, I don't know. I really don't know what electricity is. And I really have no understanding. I have no understanding how turbines and water make it. So you could match the words, but do you really have the, under right. the satisfying understanding? So, so in, in the... Uh... Pattern recognition style of attacking natural language, obviously, they, I mean, uh, th these techniques require a lot of data, right? So in order to uh, yes. become good. So exactly. it, with what you're talking about, how much data do you need? Let's say, actually, I want to use uh, elemental cognition technologies to do, I don't know, some kind of customer support application. How much prior customer support transcribed recordings does it need? Well, the, mo the model for learning is different. So the model for learning is more the way you might teach a human. So you might sit there and say, we're going we're gonna to team you up with an expert and you're going to read the material and start building a model and asking questions until you too can answer the questions that customers pose to you. So it's a very different, it's, it's, you train it much more the way you would train a human. It builds and compounds understanding through reading and dialogue. So there's a, is there like a causal graph of some kind? It, it builds a causal model, yes. And so then uh, in certain applications and contexts, a human, when you're training a human, they don't need that many examples, right? They don't need as many examples. And one theory about why is because they actually have enough prior knowledge to build this causal model. And this causal model allows them to predict, again, now to produce language um, based on and understanding of the world as opposed to guessing the next phrase based on other, you know, other patterns and, you know, patterns of prior language. So you're really getting at the root of what's underlying the language as opposed to looking at the surface structure, how languages, you know, how words and phrases tend to occur in large corpora. Of course, this is still an enormous challenge getting, I mean, elemental cognition is focused on uh, teaching computers, basically program them to learn that way to learn the way humans do. So it's not about finding the right answer in a body of text. It's about learning. It's ultimately about 
building those, in other words, reading and dialoguing to build knowledge and understanding uh, the way the way humans would, so that you can now actually reason and produce language that reflects the understanding, as opposed to produce language that parrots prior uses of language. So let's take a topic-specific class of applications that are in the media right now that you mentioned earlier, which is chatbots. So how would uh, how would you go about training elemental cognition software to be an effective chatbot? Well, the, the approach you take with elemental cognition is you talk you first of all say what what do you want to talk about, and if you want to talk about the weather or if you want to talk about basically some topic, you would actually teach the system that topic. And so the kind of conversation with how you would have with elemental cognition is more along the lines that of what you would have with like an expert about a topic. You would say, hey, can you read um, all the articles on stem cell research? Because I'd like to talk to you about that. I'd like to understand how stem cells work and how that, you know, what the ethical and technical implications are. Um, and then start, you know, having that conversation like you would with the Star Trek computer or something like that. So it learns it learns incrementally. It's not like you say, here are all the published papers on stem cell research, extract all of the facts and causal relationships between those facts. Well, yeah, I, I think once, you know, EC's technology is capable enough because it's, it's going through the process of learning how to do that. Once it's capable enough and it's built up enough of the knowledge base to understand things like that, yes, it is conceivable that you would say, and then sort of that's, that's the end state for us. That's amazing. You know, that's the end state. Like, go out and read all this stuff, and I want you to talk to me about it. Like, you, you know, you know, as if I want to be able to converse as if you were an expert. I essentially want you to be this collaborative thought partner, right? This takes us to a world where where machines become collaborative thought partners, true experts that can help us learn, create, think, and solve problems in sort of that fluent dialogue. So they could literally learn and build understanding by reading and dialoguing with others exactly the way humans do. It's sort of really interesting that that I think that when I talk about this and I talk to people about this, they struggle to kind of grok it. I mean, you, machines do not understand what they read today. That's the reality. They don't understand. You can give them a first grade reading comprehension story, ask them to read it, and then ask them about it. Humans will have a full comprehension of all the implications and machines will be lost if you literally don't match the words that are somewhere in, in, in the paragraph that you read. So they don't understand today. And when we try to imagine what it, would, what it would be like if they really did understand, there's a very simple substitution you can do. Put a human expert in that position. That's what we want out of computers, to be able to converse with us as well as a human expert on any, any, any topic that you could train that human on. And, and yeah, yeah, and I think that's critical, you know, that the word converse, right? Because sometimes I think when people read these headlines that machines exceeded humans at such and such a task, but when you look carefully, it's usually some uh, straightforward perception task. Correct, correct. Understand, understanding is a very difficult thing. And, and, you know, the other thing I ask people to reflect on is, how much human labor, effort, work, however you want to measure it, attention goes into getting other humans to understand stuff? A lot. A lot. Yep. Yep. A lot, right? Scientists, journalists, managers. Or, or um, just, just think about the size of the professional training, lifelong learning industry, right? 
right? The whole entire educational industry. I would argue the news and uh, journal, journalism. You know, I, right now, what, what are we doing right now? Um, you know, managers are constantly basically building presentations to help other people understand what it is they're doing and why it's useful and successful. I mean, we are we are always working to getting other politicians, at least hopefully that's what they're actually doing, is trying to get people to understand. So understanding is not a trivial thing. It's a difficult thing. It takes logic. It takes reason. It takes interpretation. Um, it takes empathy, like understanding the models. Like for me to do a good job and getting you to understand something, something, I have to anticipate the model you are starting with, what I call your prior model. And I have to adapt how I project my understanding into that model. And in fact, when I'm understanding you, all I have is my prior model. And now I have to kind of align your words. I have to build a representation of that and align that with my prior model and then look where the gaps are. And then we, and we go back and forth and we ask each other questions and we try to align that. That's what we do. That's what the EC, the Elemental Cognition Technology, also does. It starts to build a more and more sophisticated prior model. And then as it's conversing and reading, it's aligning and then expanding and extending its model so that the next conversation becomes easier, more fluent. Is there an example uh, that you can share where it's like, uh, aha, people get it right away when they see like a, a simple use case or example of elemental cognition technology in action. Yeah, I mean, we have these dialogues. Um, in fact, in, in the talk that I gave, we, we kind of go over one where, you know, the EC system is actually trying to understand, you know, what's going on in a game of soccer. A simple story about a, a little game of soccer. And it's trying to understand it. And it can't answer any of the questions right. So it actually acknowledges this and says, you know, I, I don't even really know what a team sport is. I don't. You're talking about, you know, these two kids playing soccer, and I'm struggling even with the concept of soccer and the concept of a team sport. So it finds another story that talks about, you know, soccer is a team sport, two teams play, each team has 11 players, the players try to kick the ball into the other team's goal, and now it tries to understand that. And in the process of understanding that, it's asking questions like, why, you know, why does it kick the ball? You know, why does it kick a ball into the other other team's goal? Because it wants to win. Well, how does it win? You know, and it sort of keeps going through through this process until it reaches this like moment where it says, okay, I understand, right? I understand what a team is. I understand that players on a team work together to to win points because if they win more points than the other team, they win, and both teams want to win the game. And so it, it builds this understanding. And then with that understanding, it now goes back to the other story, says, I think I know what's going on here. And now I can answer your question because now I can understand the motivations of the players and why they're working together and why one player is trying to kick the ball into the goal and it's assisting the other player. And all of a sudden the world makes sense. And when you see it asking questions, building an understanding, building a prior model, and then using that prior model to understand the next story it's reading, you're like, okay. So how, this is, so so this is taking place kind of in uh, in somewhat real time. Presently, not yet, and this is part of like where we are in elemental cognition. I mean, we're building actually a fairly complex architecture that does the interpretation, does the the mapping ontological models, does the um, the reasoning, does the dialogue back. There's lots of components all working together, and right now it's actually 
you know, we're focused on getting it to work right, um, not on speed and real time. But, you you know, we play the dialogue out in real time uh, so you can get a feel for it. Right, right. But, you know, we're working on making this more and more efficient as we go. In fact, we've, we've had some recent breakthroughs in that area. Um, but again, we're, this is very much a research project at this point because we know that, boy, if we crack this nut, this is huge. I mean, this is like, this is huge. This changes everything. By the way, uh, let's take a step back and describe what is elemental cognition. Is it a startup? Is it selling products? So for our listeners out there who might want uh, to know more. Yeah, Elemental Cognition is a company that I started in 2015. And right now, it's, it's, a it's about building a technology. It's focused on uh, um, building a technology, uh, really sort of a, a grand challenge, crack the AI, not crack the, the, you know, this language understanding problem in AI. Uh, we use deep learning, we use reasoning, we use joint inference, we use many knowledge representation, we use all kinds of techniques. Uh, we bring that together and this, this architecture we think can, can do it. But it's very much a, a research startup with the focus is really building, you know, cracking up, building the technologies that is going to demonstrate that we can build artificial intelligence that actually understands what it reads and doesn't just like simply make a prediction or answer a question. It ac actually can provide a detailed explanation for why an answer, why an answer makes sense and how it relates to its, its prior understanding. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge, but it's one that I think we have to focus on in AI. A deep learning, you know, pure machine learning systems, remarkable pattern recognition techniques um, can do amazing things, but we think it's just part of the answer. The more holistic answer has to ultimately focus on shared understanding. The, the machine and the human have to work together, collaborate to build that shared understanding so that the answers just don't come in isolation. They come with explanations that both human and machine can, can, uh, can converse about, can talk about, can dialogue about, and can ultimately justify. So right now, uh, if I'm a company and I want to use your technology, it's not available yet? No, elemental cognition technology is not available. We are growing as a company focused on solving this this. Uh, this tough problem. And um, as we kind of, you know, we will start to kind of roll out demonstrations that you could play around with that demonstrate it. But no, we're not, we're not selling a product. Uh, we're, we're building a technology. So your work has uh, focused a lot on natural language as opposed to some of these other aspects of uh, machine learning and AI, like computer vision or speech. So have you always been focused on natural language? And if that's the case, what? Why natural language in particular? So I actually, you know, the, the EC architecture is open to any signal that will allow it to build an understanding. Humans communicate most prolifically and precisely through natural language. So that's an obvious place to start and one where we have a lot of experience. But we've also been acquiring knowledge from images, for example, and have imagined other sources, uh, including, you know, simulations and, you know, you know other ways to acquire the information it would need to build understanding. So prior to uh, Elemental Cognition and Bridgewater, you spent many, many years at uh, IBM, and you've had a lot of experience talking to people who lead large enterprises. So right now, AI is such a hot topic. And as someone who runs AI events, I can tell you that one of the hottest topics is actually, how do I bring AI into the enterprise? So uh, do you have any uh, particular 
tips for people who are wanting to dip their toes in into yeah, all, great, the, yeah. all, all, all these things that they're reading about? Great. I mean, great question. I think it's, it's, um, it's gotta be so important to so many people to, you know, to think about how they wrap their mind around this. How do they differentiate between the hype and all the different things that are going on? I mean, my advice is first try to get a very clear picture about what your, what problem you're trying to solve. Like what is, and then think about, so what is your precision return curve? In other words, good AI systems. I mean, the reason why you get into AI is it's because you're solving a problem that isn't just a database lookup. It's not about building a database and a query language and a little GUI in front of that. It's really about dealing with ambiguity and uncertainty and large volumes of data where there's no clear deterministic algorithm. So AI systems will produce probabilities and the, and the best its best answers or predictions may still be wrong. So at lo- what level of precision or accuracy do you need to meet your business goal? So, for example, in trading markets, you may only need to be right 52% of the time. Um, you know, in medicine, uh, less than 90 may be a disaster. So knowing, knowing that you're, de- you're using AI because you're dealing with complex problems where there's no simple database lookup to answer it, but you're dealing with the ambiguity, the uncertainty in, in language or, in, or numerical data or whatever it may be. So you have to kind of understand what that trade-off is. Next, you have to kind of assess, do you, have, do you have the resources required to train that AI system to achieve that goal? You know, if you need 90% accuracy, you know, how much data are you going to need and how much interaction time are you going to need to train that AI system? And this is not immediately obvious. It may require some uh, initial empirical experimentation to say, do we have enough data to represent the phenomenon that the system, you know, would be able to train on? So that's Another question you want to answer. And then I think, you know, uh, I think, you know, um, very close to kind of my perspective or the way I think about AI is, do you need an explanation in the end? Do you need to be responsible and, and liable for individual decisions the system might make? Um, because if you need rational explanations and justifications, then, you know, pure statistical approaches like deep learning are going to struggle to give you that. Deep learning technique may give you answers that are more off, often right than wrong, but their explanations may be completely opaque. So, you know, their answer may be, hey, look, I'm right 65% of the time, so take it. Um, but if you require a detailed explanation that a human can now engage with and modify and refine and consider from different perspectives, you have to take a different approach. You know, it's interesting because uh, you brought up something that I think sometimes people miss, which is the importance of uh, data, and in many cases, labeled data, right? Because nowadays, there's even uh, so many cloud-based services where you can probably have access to these algorithms, but the bottleneck still remains data. Yep. No, I, th- I think, I think in, uh, when, you know, when you think about learning, um, however, however, the different types of learning that you might use, data is critical. I mean, you're learning from the data. You have to have sufficient amounts of data in order to produce that learning. Very often, the and I think what happens in deep learning systems, you know, it's interesting. Deep learning is funny because deep learning, especially in language, is still looking at surface patterns in the data. They're, again, they're not getting at the underlying models that cause that data to be produced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet we call it deep learning for, for different reasons. In many ways, it's sort of a, a shallow form of learning because it's not getting at the causal models. It's getting at the surface the patterns in the surface structure of the data. But if you're trying to learn something that doesn't 
a pattern that is very hard to get at the signal. In other words, you need many, 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 many instances of the data to resolve that signal. You know, it's it's huge. It's massive. And if it's supervised learning, it's going to have to be labeled. So you're going to have to have both human investment in creating a, a, a massive uh, data resource in order to train those systems. So that's a key thing. You have to pay. T- you have to figure that out for your application. So what uh, what do you think about automation? And you know, one of the things that people are, are worried about is that the AI will automate so many jobs away. Yeah, a very important question. I mean, I, I think that. Um, I mean, I'm a long-term optimist, meaning that I think in the long-term, AI is going to be a boon for humanity. Uh, it's going to help us in many, many ways, ultimately sort of unleashing, our, I think, our, our creative, uh, creative potential and, and allowing the human race to be far more productive and for our lifestyle, uh, quality of life to go up. So long-term optimist. I think, you know, there are going to be bumps in the road from an economic perspective. Um, there will have impact on the labor market. And um, and I think ultimately we'll we'll absorb that, but I think they're going they're going to be uh, rocky areas. Um, I expect government and society to, to um, you know be uh, demands will be on both government and society as a whole to figure out how to do that, how to manage that. I think education is going to be very very important to retrain, reeducate the to labor force. I think it'll, it'll affect how we think about um, global economics. Uh, you know how we think about uh, fiscal policy, uh, monetary policy. So I think I, I think all of that is going to be affected actually by AI technology. Lots of interesting questions to deal with. But I, I guess uh, what I gather from uh, how you described uh, how elemental cognition technology works, uh, at the end of the day, it seems like uh, when when it does become available and when I can use it in my company, it will actually augment. Not necessarily displace. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I mean, that's certainly the the broad long long term perspective I see. Like, I, I imagine that. I mean, think about it. How often we struggle with understanding what's going on in a way that allows me to act. So, um, I think the boon to productivity in, in in the way EC would shape the future. The boon to productivity is just enormous, and the boon to creativity is just enormous, and the boon to uh, education is enormous. So in other words, I can learn faster. Uh, you know, I make wine, I, you know, I make my wine, my wine. I mean, if I do say so myself, it comes out really good. There's no way I would have been able to become in such a short amount of time, a pretty good winemaker. If I had not, if I didn't have the access to knowledge that I have today, vis-a-vis the web, there's no way in hell. Now I don't have ECs technology, which literally can talk to me like, as if it was a wine expert and it could take me through and explain things. I had to study and read a ton of stuff. But the reality was I was able to access and search for that stuff and become really good in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, it opens up opportunities for individuals that just never could never existed before in terms of my now the, the speed at which I can actually become a reasonably knowledge and expert at something and solve solve problems and apply my creativity and apply the unique intelligence I bring to the problem. You know, let the computer do that work of analyzing, synthesizing, summarizing, reporting, and dialoguing with me, and then make me better at my job. So I, that's the way I see it. Actually, this is great because uh, this is how I wanted to close this conversation. Uh, the last time we talked, we talked briefly about computer science education, and I shared with you a story of 
of a friend of mine who's a systems professor at the top CS department. And he told me that uh, many, uh, in fact, most of their prospective grad students wanted to go into machine learning or AI. So many of the other branches of CS seem to be kind of like not as sexy to, uh, to young students these days. So be- before we close, do you have any advice to aspiring computer scientists or aspiring data scientists? Yeah, so my advice is learn how to be a problem solver um, because I think a lot of the uh, machine learning techniques will be commoditized and the value is going to be in your ability to understand the domain, to understand the data. So do- domain, domain expertise matters. Well, a certain matter, yes, you're going to have to understand the domain because what's going to differentiate you is your ability to resolve what problem do I solve? What data do I use to solve that problem? Um, and so some understanding of the domain is going to be required because if the problem is just once I prepare the data and I feed it into the machine learning algorithms and I evaluate my result, that's going to get more and more mechanized. And the real value is going to be is, is, is can I apply my human intelligence to analyze the nature of the problem, nature of the domain, what data to use, what features to build, um, what features are, gonna, are going to matter. I don't think we're going to, you know, uh, you know, I think I think that that skill, that problem solving analytical skill is important today, will continue to be important. You don't want to sort of become um, j- just, you know, in other words, you don't want to focus on, hey, I, I have this set of, of machine learning techniques and I can just feed the data in and get the result and test it because that's going to get more and more automated. So, you know, stay focused on your creativity, your analytical and problem solving skills. This is just another tool in the toolkit, if you will. And actually, the last time we talked about this topic, you joked, I think, that at some point we'll need people who are good at creating labeled data sets, which are the domain experts. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not going to go away. I mean, I think annotating data, getting humans to annotate data is going to continue to be important. And of course, you know, I think, I mean, you know, there's a big change. And when you we were using purely rule-based systems, the demand on the domain expert was much, much higher. When you're just asking domain experts to label data, it gets a little bit, it gets a little bit easier. The skill isn't, it doesn't have to be as, as high. Um, but we, you know, at the, at the same time, that assumes that you have a, a problem that has the requirements I talked about earlier, where you don't need deep understanding. You don't need rational explanations. You don't need uh, logical exp- explanations and, and dialogues about that, but you're really just producing an answer and you're letting the machine go and off and build this you know, complex, often opaque model. I think as we do require the machines to really build the understanding, and that's you know, my perspective you know, with wearing my, my elemental cognition hat, the role of the domain expert kind of uh, turns into a very different role, almost like a mentorship role, almost like you would be training another human. So there we do want domain experts to really forge a collaboration with the machine. And that's a kind of a very different, a sort of a very different role. And, um, and humans focusing on the domain, the values, the justifications, the rationalizations actually, again, becomes important, becomes important again. And, and I don't want to make it sound like it's, it's a this or a that. The future is going to be systems that, that utilize statistical machine learning and utilize domain expertise and really collaborate with humans to build, you know, to, to build and compound that understanding. I mean, that's kind of the way I see all the pieces actually coming together ultimately. 
And also, based on what you're describing, what EC is doing, it's also going to be a different kind of system, not just a system that relies on deep learning, lots of data, uh, really really huge models, right? So it's going to be a lot more system that uh, uh, uses many, many different things. The EC system will be very different in its modality. In other words, it'll always be interactive, always be learning, always be conversational, always provide justifications and explanations. And also, it seems like its goal is understanding. Its goal is understanding. Its goal is not just to predict an answer. Its goal is to to be able to justify why an answer makes sense or why an answer doesn't make sense in terms that humans can understand, in terms that are based on a conceptualization that the human and the machine share and where the machine has built through dialogue and reading and understanding what humans understand, building that shared model. And it certainly uses statistical deep learning techniques in a variety of different places. I mean, statistical learning is fundamental, I think, to how humans ultimately acquire and induce. I mean, we induce, right? We, we learn from patterns. These technology will also learn from patterns, but it also insists that that's not the whole answer, that in addition from, to learning from patterns on the surface, it has to build logical models that are actually the source of where those patterns come from. So it's doing all of this with that higher goal of of producing that understanding. Well, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's always nice chatting with you. Dave Ferrucci will deliver a keynote at the O'Reilly Artificial Intelligence Conference in New York this coming June 28th. And his colleague Jennifer Chu Carroll will also give a talk entitled Beyond the State of the Art in reading comprehension at the same conference on the same day. You can follow Dave Ferrucci on Twitter at Elemental Cog. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe through iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode. And please do remember to rate us on iTunes. <music>